Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. You know, I have been uh, up to a lot of stuff, but you know, it's you more than usual because I'm heading out on vacation later today. And uh, you know how it is, you're, you're just trying to wrap things up before you get on that plane. Um, so to that end, I've been pretty busy, pretty productive, I hope, but it, the very least I've been busy. Uh, I published a new episode of Spring Tips, by the way, for those of you who are wondering when the next episode would drop, that was yesterday, Wednesday. Uh, it's a revision, a redux, if you will, of all things Spring and Kubernetes. Uh, and you know, uh, you know some of this, I'm sure, if you've watched any of my videos in the recent memory, I've got some discussion of Kubernetes, but there's just a bunch of stuff in here now. And I, you know, I get the feeling that this is going to be one of those evergreen topics where uh, I really can't cover enough, you know. In the video, we look at everything from packaging and observing and uh, configuring Spring Boot applications deployed to Kubernetes. We look at extending Kubernetes with Spring Boot applications as well. Uh, it's an in-depth video insofar as I, uh, you know, cover a good amount of the surface area of any given feature, but I don't cover all the features. Um, uh, I can tell you that I've tried, it's just not possible, right? So hopefully uh, I've just pointed you in the right direction and uh, you can expand upon, uh, you know, that inertia, you can expand upon that that uh, that beginning. Uh, I'm so glad I get to work on Kubernetes. I, I hate YAML, obviously, and there's a reason it's the, 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 the point sensitive, the space sensitive uh, butt of all my jokes, but I love how much potential Kubernetes uh, offers. The original version of Spring also offered unbridled potential. Uh, sometimes, however, you know, being fair here, uh, people want opinions and constraints on their potential. They want focused potential, which yields results after all. Uh, and and in that respect, I love uh, Spring Boot, right? And I love what my company, VMware Tanzu, is doing around the Tanzu application platform, uh, which builds upon Kubernetes. Uh, it brings, I think, at least that that focus to the potential that Kubernetes offers. So I suspect I'll have to do um, a follow-up video to really kind of explore, uh, well, you know, that potential. Um, yeah, speaking of potential, what else? Oh, my family and I are off to Maui, uh, Hawaii later today, uh, Thursday, the 21st of July. Um, you know, so I'm really glad I got that episode out, but, uh, you know, don't expect any more episodes when I'm gone. I'll be, uh, I'll be on the beach. Um, but of course there'll be more podcasts, uh, but again, you know, you'll forgive me if I don't ramble to the extent that I usually do in the beginning of these episodes. I think you've probably heard enough at this point after, after all, how many episodes has it been? It's been more than three and a half years. So that's gotta be what 180, 190 episodes already. Uh, and that's a lot, right? And I think by the way, for those of you who are wondering, I think I finally figured out how to get decent sound. Um, at least, you know, when I'm home, uh, I still have to figure out something for when I'm traveling. Right then. Well, uh, what did I just say about rambling? I've got to get some sleep and catch a plane soon. So let's get to the good stuff. Today's guest. In today's episode, I talk to a person who knows better than than most uh, the amazing, well, you know, potential uh, in the words spring and cloud. Ryan Baxter uh, is a contributor to Spring Cloud Kubernetes and Spring Cloud. Uh, he's got an interesting and amazing story that spans different generations of service architectures. And I really just, if I'm honest, I just really enjoyed 
having a chance to finally sit down with him and uh, at a recent Spring Wind Tour installment, I think it was in New York, um, and just catch up. And uh, it was great, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I learned a, lot, a bunch. He's been one of those uh, amazing people that I can just ping and rely you know, on a, a frequent basis, and I get all sorts of interesting ideas and, and help and all that. So I really enjoyed just having the chance to turn on the microphone and talk with him. Uh, and uh, I sure hope you do, too. I just recorded you. Uh, I don't know. We're going to talk about how not to get uh, coronavirus. We already talked about that. <laughs> uh, you, you just had it. I just had it. You yes. and I were just in um, Spain. Yep. Where uh, that was for what? Spring Hill. And what were you talking about there? I was talking about, I did a workshop on Spring and Kubernetes. So basically, how do you get your first Spring app running on just a vanilla Kubernetes instance? And then um, I did a talk on service discovery and configuration with Spring Cloud and Kubernetes. And they could have gotten like Joe Beta or Kelsey Hightower, <laughs> but instead they called you <laughs> I, to do that talk. Why, yeah. why you? Who uh, are you? I, I, my name is Ryan Baxter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I work on the Spring team, uh, obviously. I work uh, uh, on the Spring Cloud team more specifically, along with uh, some of the other fantastic people that you've had on this podcast, Spencer and, and Olga and the like. Yeah. Um, uh, Oleg, I believe Oleg's been on the podcast, right? Oh, Spring yeah. Cloud stream. Martin. Yeah, Martin as well. It's yeah. not that we didn't want you. It's no. just that you were always too busy. <laughs> <laughs> always, yeah. Uh, or you're you're too busy. Um, one uh, of the two. Call them A and B. Yeah. I don't know. But I'm uh, glad you're here, yeah. by the way, just, yeah. to, just to be clear. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for... I don't know, six, seven years now, ever since the good. Has it already been? Oh, you were at uh, IBM. Yes. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, it's starting to come back. Yes. I was on a, I, I was at IBM and I discovered the uh, the magic of, of Spring Boot via probably one of your YouTube videos, I think. Oh, dear. And uh, became interested in that. And then that led me to Spring Cloud. In the work I was doing at IBM, I was doing a lot of, uh, back in time, our, our, our Cloud Foundry uh, instance there. It was called Bluemix. Right. And uh, I was doing a lot of work with uh, Java and Spring on, you know, on Bluemix and stuff like that. And uh, I started making pull requests to Spring Cloud because I was like, oh, this is broken, this is broken. Right. And then uh, that, it turns out when you do that stuff, people take notice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the good Dr. Dave Sire uh, was like, hey, you looking for a job? And yeah. I was like, maybe, what do you, what do you have in mind? So, you already uh, had a job. You were already, you were... You were a developer advocate as well. I right? was, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was doing your stuff back yeah, then. You yeah. were slimming it. Now you got. Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, you have kids yeah. and uh, young kids, and your wife's like, "Hey, you can't travel all the time. <laughs> you have to be home." Which makes sense. Yes, that's fair. Yes, it's, it's a fair trade-off for yeah, sure. For I'm sure. not. No regrets. No regrets. And actually, uh, worked out better. Uh, I mean, you were doing us a big favor because you were helping people find their way to Spring and Spring Boot. Yeah. yeah. While IBM paid you, but yeah. <laughs> it, uh, we needed your help that way or through yeah. engineering, you know, for directly like. There's a little bit of engineering and developer advocacy, of course, but absolutely, uh, you know, it, it turned out great either way for us. We were just yes. happy to have that. Oh yeah, I was, I, was, I was obviously uh, jumped on the opportunity to join the team because I, I knew all the great people that, that worked on there, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, a it's a nice team. But I I'm still stuck on. You said 2014, uh, or yeah, when did you join? Something like that. Yeah. 15? Wow. Yeah. That's that wild. Nuts. I that, can't believe it's been that long. Honestly, the years fly by. So much fun. <laughs> hey, well, for me, I mean, I feel bad for you, like, having to listen to my terrible, terrible jokes over and over for years and years. Uh, wait, wait, so, okay, so wait, I guess we could start, let's go backwards. Okay. 
Let's go back. Would you, you know, I don't know where you want to start, but I always like to hear people's stories about how they broke into the industry and whatever, because it is a bit of a racket, isn't it? Like, I don't mm. know how we get to be here and some other far more deserving person doesn't. Do you want to go, you want to go way back? Like Where how I started at IBM? Yeah, or before. Yeah, so I, I, um, I obviously graduated with a degree in computer science and then um, this was in bad timing, right? So I graduated right before 2008. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, yeah, when the economy took a nosedive, but I was able to get a job at IBM before that happened, so I got hired. And plus I was cheap, cheap labor, though, right? Fresh so, grad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I started there and I actually worked on the Notes Domino team. Nice. Yeah, Lotus Notes oh. and Domino. So for, can I ask questions? Yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I talk to you? Do you, okay. So uh, my mom, yeah. decades ago, and I mean, you know, a thousand years ago, worked on, she was not a developer, she used Lotus Notes. Mm -hmm. Lotus Notes was groupware, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if we had that today. What is that? It was like a whole, it was like, you know, do you remember AOL when you'd log on to AOL and it was like people got confused. They thought the internet was AOL. <laughs> yes. And they didn't realize there was more. You could open up a browser and go to any website you wanted. Yeah. It didn't have to be an AOL page, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Lotus, uh, Lotus Notes back in the 90s was that sort of same thing. There's Lotus Notes yeah. apps or whatever. I don't know yeah. what they're called. Yeah, they were apps, yeah. Inside of Lotus Notes. And yeah. in the 90s, you'd load you'd get an IBM ThinkPad, this is before Lenovo bought them, and these things were bricks, yep. and uh, you'd run Lotus Notes, and yep. uh, and worked great. Whole yeah. companies did everything, messaging, collaboration. It's, it's amazing what people calendaring. did on it. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So, what, what, so did, was there a way to extend that? I mean, I don't understand yeah, what so Domino is. Domino was the whole, like, the, the backend server and, and, and the, the, the programming language, and, and most of it was actually more, like, it wasn't so much like uh, software engineering from the Domino side of things. It's kind of more like like drag and drop. And then you had this Lotus script language that they had that you could write some logic in and stuff like that if you really got crazy. But for me, at the time, and that was like 20 years, I guess. Well, so funny story. I, I When I first started working on a team, I opened a source code file in C for yeah. something I was working on. And, you know, I had the copyright at the top of the the file and it was 1985 which was the year i was born oh, <laughs> and i was like Oops. i should not be touching this code i don't think no. like I, I it was it was written when i was born um, you and i are not smart enough to understand yeah yeah, yeah. no way uh but anyways uh i forgot i was going with that but well, well I, what you're right what i just i want to don't let me forget i also want to ask about damien katz and uh the because he went off to do Couch DB and yeah. wasn't he involved in Lotus? And all yeah, that yeah, yeah. I think um, he a lot of the like that that uh, the philosophy behind Couch DB I think started in the, in data, the database model in, in Domino. Right. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, I I joined the team because I was going to work on the Java side of things. So someone had the brilliant idea of taking Lotus Notes and, and, and building a client that was based on top of Java, right? And more specifically, OSGI and Eclipse. Yeah. Because uh, you know, back then. In 2008, Eclipse was, you know, especially yeah. in the IBM world, it was the thing, right? Yeah, still is uh, a huge, huge yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Good as far thing. as like building applications on top of the whole SGI model and all that stuff, right? Um, so we were, you know, that's where I kind of got my, my feet wet uh, in IBM. And then I, th I did that for around five years or so. Um, and then I had the opportunity, I was, I was looking into developer advocacy stuff. I kind of wanted to do that stuff. I really enjoyed talking and teaching other developers stuff we were doing um, and um, I got the opportunity to jump over to the emerging technologies team inside of IBM 
which was an awesome opportunity. And at the time, this is when Cloud Foundry was new and we were rolling out this product called Bluemix and yeah. it was still in emerging technologies. And so I got the opportunity to be a developer for that. Nice. And um, Bluemix was awesome. Yeah. You know, I, we always liked it from, well, first of all, there's, the, okay, so can you explain what Cloud Foundry is and all that? Yeah, it's a, it's a platform as a service, right? It's, it's a, yeah. the equivalent would be a Tanzu application service in, in, in VMware world. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you're basically just, you know, it's a way to get your apps running in the cloud without really in a very developer friendly manner. Right. Uh, you don't have to go to your ops team and request a VM and all that other fun stuff. Right. You just here's my jar. Run it. And it, yeah. it, it does it right. Yeah. But it was open source. That's it was open source. Yeah, There's yeah. distributions of it. Right. Yes, yeah. Kind of. Is that fair? Yeah. Like so we so at Pivotal and now VMware, we have our own flavor of it. Right. right. We and I, I think it's pretty fair to say that. VMware, then Pivotal, and then, you know, and now it, the original drop came from within VMware, the sure. original code, but very quickly, and to the credit of everyone involved, in, 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 including in a large way, IBM, mm. right? Uh, the community dove in, and we, you know, built up quite the consortium of like yeah. contributors, and, and I, the, they were all amazing. Yeah, and there was a, a very good collaboration between. IBM and Pivotal at the time, yeah. you know, and, and making sure that that, you know, the open source project was, was uh, was was popular and, and uh, you know actually worked right. And it was not just exactly that's it. Yeah, I was gonna say that it wasn't just like a rubber stamping or whatever. Of yeah. it was actual meaningful features. They were there. They were part of the meetings. I mean, yeah. I just remember thinking, yeah, this is exactly the that that thrill people talk about when they say, I want to I want to go open source. You know. This is what you want. You yeah. want IBM yeah, yeah. to show up and say, "I'll commit resources and energy right. and brilliant, brilliant people." You know. Yeah, and you have the the massive company IBM, the yeah. enterprise-based company, and then you have this the startup company Pivotal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, both working together on the same the same thing. It's kind of it's and kind moving of, at the same speed, which is also the crazy thing. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And which is to say, fast. Yeah, very yeah. fast. You know. Very, 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 very it's fast. It's awesome. Right. right. And um, so, anyways, I at the time, you know, there was a lot of. Hoopla around Node at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, no, nothing against Node. I, you know, I, I kind of liked it a little bit, but I was like, oh, you know, everyone's like, oh, you can get so, you get started so fast with Node and Java. It's like, oh, you got to do all this stuff, right? Right. So that's when I started like going around. Like, is there like some equivalent to like this, the speed of like getting a map up and running in Node to in the Java space? And at the time, that's when Boot just kind of like hit the scene, and you were out like speaking and stuff like that. Right. And so, a lot of us, yeah, yeah, yeah. So watching your videos on YouTube and stuff like that, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is, this, I can get something going a hell of a lot faster with Boot than I can with WebSphere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so, uh, but then that led me down to the Spring Cloud path. And at the time, there was Spring Cloud was a project. It was not an umbrella project right. like it is today. It was a project. Right. Um, and um, it had uh, the ability to, I think it was mostly the connectors, the service bindings that were there. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, so you were talking about the original yes. flavor of Spring Cloud, yeah. not the one that, because there was a time when it was the Dr. Sire, uh, uh, Spencer Gibb. It was before, joined, before Spencer. But it was still one project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Romnivas. Yes, remember yeah, Romnivas? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Romnivas worked on these original connectors. Yep. yep. For people who don't know, these connectors were. Um, like you can, it's a Java API. You can say, "Give me a key value store." And it'll give you Correct. a Redis in one cluster, and MySQL, my whatever. Yeah. And it would give me a SQL database, and it'll give you MySQL in one cluster, yeah. Postgres in another. If you, but it would, it was by capabilities and by type, not correct. You know, and it was a program you could, you could then have that automatically injected into your Java code. Correct. 
at runtime on the cluster, but in local, you could just talk to a local H2 or whatever. Right, correct. And then, um, yeah, and then it, that evolved into, um, you know, once the, the Netflix stuff was brought in, Spring Cloud, and that's when I really got my hands started, dirty, starting to, like, submit pull requests and stuff like that, and, yeah. and submit bugs and fixes like that, and then, yeah, that was kind of the rest of the history. That's how I got here. It's like, it really, it, it was a really exciting time. Yeah. Because Bluemix, and uh, there was other cloud vendor distributions, yeah. you know, there's a, um, what was that one in German, 99 or something like that? Like, yeah. uh, and then there was a, what was that one from Adron? Um, oh, yeah. That was, wasn't it him? Am I thinking of the right one? There was one from there was some group in Seattle. and Yeah, there was, a, there was a, a number of them. 89 was the one in Germany. Okay. Right? 89, yeah, was yeah. that right? I don't know. It could be. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I I'm thinking remember. of 99 Luftballons. I've kind of almost watched most of this from my brain. Yeah, yeah, point. because I just used uh, the, the, the VMware stuff. Right? Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. It works just fine, but... But uh, yeah, it was everywhere. But it, and and Bluemix was there, right? And Bluemix and uh, Pivotal were uh, co-op petitions, right? Like we yeah. were helping each other, but also competing friendly, yeah. 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 Um, and so this, there's this synergy, this energy of like people are building systems to make it even easier to get stuff into production. And then, with a question to me at least at that time, that zeitgeist, that moment was how can our software keep up hmm. with the speed of innovation that our teams are having, mm. and then how can we uh, get that software to production mm. as quickly as our software teams can get software written, right? Yeah. And um, it just felt like we had finally done it. We yeah. had finally cracked, like for the 80% case, I've got an online transactional web app. Yeah. I'm gonna move to microservices, I'm gonna deploy it on Cloud Foundry, and yeah. it couldn't have been easier. Yeah, you know? yeah. super easy. Um, but that, I think we're all discovering at that time or rediscovering, to be fair. I don't think Spring Cloud originated a lot of these ideas, right? Yeah. They, but that was by design, right? We pulled in the best of breed ideas from all these different projects, including you just mentioned Netscape. Uh, no, Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Netscape was a little bit earlier. A than little that. bit, a yeah. A little bit earlier than that. Although it wouldn't be right to say, <laughs> it wouldn't be wrong to say Spring draws from Netscape 2. Sure. <laughs> if you've ever done HTTP, then yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a good. So that was good. So you were in the emerging group, and you became. We were a developer advocate. You were out there. I bumped into you. Yeah, more increasingly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I liked your stuff. Obviously, your talks. I, I sat in a few of them. They were great. Uh, I know. I know the team. Yeah. Uh, we also liked your talks. That was, you know, it was good. Yeah. Pretty good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and then you joined, and then it was it all just downhill from there. Or what happened? No, it's been epic <laughs> since then. Like. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I joined and, and started just working alongside, you know, the team and Spencer and, and, and Dr. Dave and and uh, Marcin and Olga and Oleg and you know, and I'm still like in awe, like every day of getting to work with these amazing people, um, and uh, I've I've just just uh, yeah, just there's all kinds of interesting projects to work on, right? And lately, I've just been kind of focusing down on the Kubernetes path. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's right. kind of this popular thing that, that we've been talking a lot about. But didn't Bluemix um, at one point sprout a Kubernetes? Thing? Not while I was there. Or wasn't there like a? Thing? They they started to I think they started right before I kind of left. They they started to add the ability to run like a Docker container, but not not so much like a in a Kubernetes fashion that we that uh, we see today. So still um, very interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, so this Kubernetes actually I kind of wonder is there like it. Blue, you did Domino. You worked on Domino. Mm. Is that an that was an that was the back end API for Lotus Notes? Is that the idea? Right. It was the it was the server that hosted all the 
database the applications for okay for notes that you would run in notes yeah and then notes was at this point notes. web browser based or was it like still a thick no client? no it was a thick client okay yeah, for sure and so there's no real connection there between that and bluemix and cloud no no not really yeah okay but I saw where the world was going. Right, right, exactly. That's what I'm going to. There's a that's a way to say it. you kept on moving where the puck was going. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah uh, instead yeah. of where the puck was, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, you know, to, with, with apologies to Gretzky. Yeah. Um, but uh, okay. So then you went to so you went to you joined the Spring Cloud team. Yeah. Great because you're on the precipice of all the technologies required to help people build better cloud apps, right? Mm -hmm. Production apps, uh, and uh, and then you know slowly but surely, well not even show, not even slowly. Uh, just surely, I guess the the world became a Kubernetes mm. world. It became world.yaml. Mm. Uh, so, like, what was that migration for you? When did you start doing that instead of just, you know, yeah. Pokemon Go or something? I I think yeah, Pokemon Go. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't do that. Um, I mean, you had a choice, right? Yeah, I had a choice. Yeah, right? Kubernetes <laughs> or Pokemon Go. One would have been far less stressful. It's it's kind of funny how things things happen because there was this community project like we have an awesome community in the, in the spring the spring community is awesome right the, the most awesome and i'm talking about the developers on the spring team i'm talking about the community as a, as for a, sure as a whole 100 percent. Right? and so what people i think don't realize is that a lot of the some many of the projects not many of them but you know, a good number of the projects that we have under the spring umbrella are kind of initiated outside of the spring team themselves or yeah. by the community right and so we had the this the community had started a project called Spring Cloud Kubernetes, which is basically taking a lot of the, the Spring Cloud APIs, interfaces that we have, like the discovery client and the idea of the config server and all that stuff, load balancing and all that, and layering it and implementing it on top of Kubernetes, right? When you're running these apps on top of Kubernetes. And the community had started this project and they said, hey, we have this stuff, you know, you know, what do you think about it, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, well, it's kind of cool. Right? We kind of see that Kubernetes is a thing now. And, um, you know, so we started including it as part of our release train, working with the community, and then eventually we kind of just brought it in under the, the Spring Cloud umbrella. Um, it, it wasn't an external project anymore. It was, you know, something that we were going to manage. And, and um, so that kind of started me down the path of Kubernetes, where I was kind of helping out on that side of things with the, with the community and, and kind of getting the release stuff organized and fixes and all that stuff, right? Just yeah. doing the project management kind of things. And um, that started me down the path of just kind of, you know, what is this Kubernetes thing? Like? Right. Um, and it turned out that we actually made a big bet, you know, as as, as Pivotal and VMware into that that space. And so, um, you were well poised. I was well poised to to keep on going uh, down that path. And so I think it's a it's a popular it's going to be a popular one because we have a lot of Spring Cloud users, and now, you know, they're they're interested in Kubernetes and they want to move their apps to Kubernetes. So how do I take this this Spring Cloud app that I have running over here? whatever right and and now move it over to run on top of kubernetes but without i don't want to change any of my code i, I don't want to i don't want to rip out my discovery client or remove my config server or change my load balancer and stuff like that and how do i uh just just take that full over onto kubernetes yeah uh without doing anything and so you know that's basically what spring cloud kubernetes does spring cloud kubernetes is one of many projects that have the spring cloud prefix right so we talked about the original use case of the connectors. Mm. And it's kind of weird. We had the connectors, which were ways to 
inject re references to services and infrastructure in some managed context, right? Mm -hmm. And originally, there it was sort of like Heroku and Cloud Foundry. This is this is all before Kubernetes existed, mm -hmm. um, and then. We created Spring Cloud separately. We appropriated the name. Mm. Spring Cloud was a set of infra uh, abstractions mm -hmm. that you could use to talk to, well, again, managed infrastructure in some sort of managed context, right? So things like a service registry, uh, load balancing, like you said, configuration, mm. uh, messaging, event buses, and all that kind of stuff, message buses. So, uh, and then and then we came back to okay, well, we we need to have integrations for particular infrastructure mm. in the same spirit as the original right. connectors. And so then we started, we sprouted all these like Spring Cloud X projects, right? Spring Cloud for AWS, yep. Spring Cloud for Google Cloud, Spring Cloud for Alibaba or Aliyun, right? Mm -hmm. Spring Cloud for Cloud Foundry, Spring Cloud for um, oh. Azure. Yep, and then, and <laughs> I think I was missing one. Yeah, yeah. We, and then you talk about the Kubernetes. There was, wasn't there like a Spring Cloud for OpenShift or whatever? Like a particular one from Red Hat? Yeah, maybe, yeah. I think, or did that get merged in? I forget. Well, I think, it, so a lot of the, the original contribution for or the, a lot of the contributors for Spring Cloud Kubernetes were Red from Hat. Red, Red Hat. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah they were um, from Red Hat originally, before uh, they got acquired by IBM. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, it just shows, you know, like this collaboration is, yeah. it's wonderful, you know? It is, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so we had Spring, so we have Spring Cloud for Kubernetes, mm -hmm. generic, right? Mm -hmm. And that's fine, because it serves the OpenShift use cases as well as our uh, Tanzu application yeah. uh, use, use cases, right? Yeah. And, um, uh, and indeed, every other, distro if you're running in kubernetes anywhere you can use this so then like you said it was mapping these abstractions in core spring cloud to the peculiarities of kubernetes mm. right mm. Um, some some have tried to say that you should just use a service uh, mm. mesh you yeah. know what's the story there do I, like what, yeah. am i just being an idiot by using a, a config no. Environment abstraction. I, I, I think there's there's a this is a very common question. It's like why don't I do, why don't we just use what the platform provides as directly as opposed to using this in between library of Spring Cloud Kubernetes, right? To, why do I need these abstractions and all this other stuff, right? And I think um, I, I think you you have to make the choice that best fits the the app and the architecture and your business use cases, etc. Right. So um, uh, there's a there's a very specific use case where I'm envisioning you you have a a, a app that is using Spring Cloud today, and you want to run that on Kubernetes, and I personally would like to make it so that you can do that without having to rip it apart and make any code changes, and that's where Spring Cloud Kubernetes comes in. Right. If you're going to build an app and you're always going to run this thing on Kubernetes and it's where, that's where it's going to start and that's where it's going to live forever, go ahead, you know, leverage the, the, the platform, the service mesh underneath, yeah. and, and, and you, you're tied to that in some degree. That's yeah. fine, that's your decision to do that. Um, and, and that's cool, but like it's you know if if you want that abstraction layer that gives you the flexibility to move around, right? Maybe you have um, you're going to be running this app on multiple different cloud platforms, right? right. Maybe it's, you know Kubernetes and, and Cloud Foundry, whatever, right? You have some Eureka and whatever over here. It, it provides that flexibility in, in abstraction um, right. that we've always had, right? So you're never tied down to any one particular <coughs> platform, right? And I think even even if you're, is it fair? I think even if you're using a service mesh, you're still going to need Spring Cloud. Um, for example, now, I mean, there's some things a service mesh does that are inarguably just better done at the service mesh level, yeah. right? As a sidecar or something like that. Maybe so yeah. mutual TLS. Yeah. 
I don't want each of my Spring Boot apps having to learn that. Thing, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That has to be done at the networking layer. I don't care if it's a service mesh or a platform or whatever, but my yeah. app shouldn't have to care. Yeah. Um, okay. Fair. Yeah. But what about perpetuating and trace? Sure. Yeah. The cloud infrastructure, the service mesh might, it might send the, the header to my app, the boundary of my app, mm. and it might perpetuate it if it comes out of my app. Mm. But who's going to, what, if it goes to the app and the app just drops it, then nothing happens, right? Right. Something needs to know about and do something with that right. information. Right. And I, I think the, like when we talk about things that are happening at the platform level, I think, you know, a good example here is like circuit breaking, right? You can yeah. do circuit breaking at the platform level, but like, okay, you can circuit break, but you have no like, you fallback. can't add fallback logic yeah. right there. You can't do that, right? Um, uh, the other good example is like load balancing, right? Like, oh yeah, I, you know, the platform provides a load balancer. Well, what algorithm does it use? Yeah, I don't exactly. know. Like, yeah. it, you can't change it, right? You right. as a developer, you, you whatever the ops guy configured is that's or, the way down. that's what you got, right? Yeah. Um, and you so Spring Cloud, you have like client side load balancing. You have Spring Cloud right. circuit breaker. You can provide fallbacks, right? So there's some things that just like you're just not gonna be able to do at the platform level. Right. right. I agree. And, and, and I think load balancing is one of those things where you don't often need to do anything besides round robin. But if you do, right. Then at least you have that flexibility. There are now, definitely yeah. there are definitely pieces of people that have some sophisticated load balancing algorithms that they like to have in place. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Not there's no. I think load balancing is definitely not a one size fits all thing. And, and some of the things I've been thinking about too is like cross cluster service discovery. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Like so even Kubernetes. It, yeah. You, yeah. Kubernetes provides service discovery, but within yeah. generally most people do it within the namespace. You can go cross cluster if you want. I mean, across namespaces, but cross cluster is a whole different ball game, right? So, how if you want to do cross cluster service discovery and you know have a, a cluster and you know US East and one EMA and you know fall back across clusters if a service is not down, you know, not available in one cluster or whatever, not responding, not up, you can fall back to another cluster or whatever. Like, I think all that stuff is kind of kind of an interesting space that I'm. Thinking about my brain, I haven't, haven't done anything about it yet, but yeah. But isn't that the holy grail right now is teaching Kubernetes to cluster, across cluster, the multi-cluster? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like five different ways to think about it, and they're starting to get some standardization in, in the you know various SIGs and whatever. But I mean, yeah. the space, I mean, I remember Alibaba had some work around this, and yeah. a lot of different companies have come up with right. shims on top or glue code on top of I mean, wasn't that wasn't the whole purpose of... of Netflix Eureka to begin with, right? I mean, uh, Netflix didn't like the way the, the load balancing and stuff were yeah. done on AWS, so they did themselves, you know, right. with Eureka, right? And so, yeah. So. It seems really natural that having that service registry, it's not really a bad thing, especially if it doesn't cost me any performance. Yeah. I, and well, there's, also, there's also like unique peculiarities to Java, mm. like the time, it, like it caches DNS, right? And so that can work against you if you're trying to do DNS-based load balancing because it'll dogpile the first IP that is resolved as opposed to just constantly getting a new IP, yeah. which would be fresh. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's, so that stuff is, it doesn't hurt me to use client-side load balancing. It gives me more flexibility, yeah. especially when I'm developing locally. Yeah. Because I'm just looking for, I'm asking the service registry for the logical, for the for the um, physical location of the logical name foo, right? Yeah. On my local machine, that's one, two, you know, one, nine, two, one, six, eight, whatever. Right. But in production, it could be a whole DNS thing. I don't care. Yeah. But the point is, I it's the same logical name. I don't have to do this mapping and swapping out. And I don't have to set up a DNS server on my local machine either. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There, uh, there are definitely some 
some positives to, to, to these abstractions that we have. It sure. just makes it easier to move the yeah. code from one place to another without yeah. having to get too tight to it. Yeah. Um, okay, so other things. So we talked about load balancing. Mm. And by the way, that's the one I think is the least, like I, we just went through a bunch of cases for which it's obviously an ideal thing to have that optionality, that flexibility. Mm. But I think that's actually the hardest one to make the case for, mm. believe it or not. Like <laughs> of all the things for which uh, uh, there is a Spring Cloud thing that complements a yeah. service mesh thing, yeah. I think that's the one where you could say, well, okay, I'll just stick with the service mesh. It's probably going to be okay. Yeah. Probably won't die. I don't know. Yeah. You know. You probably won't die. Yeah. I mean, that's. It may reasonable. not be optimal, but won't die. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to like get all. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it, it'll be. It'll probably be okay. Okay. Let's not worry about it. There's other things though. Yeah. Tracing. We mentioned that one. Tracing. You yeah. just. There is no such thing as tracing without code in your app that does tracing. Yeah. It, period. Who cares if the the mesh can do it? Right. Um, configuration. Hmm. We mentioned that, right? Your yep. uh, Spring provides an abstraction that lets you think about the world in terms of its environment, uh, where that data comes from, where you originated from. If it's a config map, that I think, uh, you know, that, that's a Kubernetes-ism. Yeah, and I, I think the, the config server is probably the number one thing that I get asked about most. Like, yeah. do, do I run my config server on Kubernetes? And I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, if you have configuration stored in a Git repo already, and the config server is serving up, like, I, I would, if I was you, I would not want to. Translate all that into a config map, <laughs> you know? well, Not to mention the versioning, the and versioning, auditing, yeah, 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 yeah. and security. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Secret, so, secrets are pretty good, but yeah. even those are just opaque. Right. Yeah. So, so some of the stuff I've done is I've I've added uh, environment repositories to the config server so that it you could do both, right? So we have an environment repository implementation for config maps and secrets. So you can serve up data from your config maps through your config server. Uh, uh, just like you would a Git repo or a subversion or Vault or whatever, right? Wait, so you get so you it's a so the Spring Cloud config server is talking to the config map. Yes. So when I talk to I, my client code talks to config server, right? And it in turn forwards the request to either a Git repository or a subversion or a local or a local file system or MongoDB or a config map. Right. Or both. Or all. Or all. There's a chain. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Right. You I didn't know you could do the config map. Yes. Thing. That's new. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, since there are 2021 releases, yeah. Okay, so it is not new. It's not not new, but it's not all too old Where? either. It's recent. Where have I been? <laughs> Sleeping on the job again. Not no. good. Yeah, so we, we did that, and um, yeah, because you, you can envision the, the the person, you know, that has configuration that's specific to Kubernetes that they want to keep in a config map or a secret on Kubernetes in addition to the configuration they also have in their, their Git repo. So you get a uniform abstraction. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, you can also, in Spring, in Spring, you can. I can take a config map. I can take a config map, uh, turn it into, a. I can mount it as a volume. Yes. In which case, I can use config trees. Yes. Or I can turn it into an environment. In which case, I just yes. get environment variables. That right. just works for free out of the box of Spring Boot. Yes. Why would you? Why would I? And I can also just talk to a config map with Spring Cloud Kubernetes, right? I can actually have my Java code directly talking to the API server. Yeah. Why not do that instead of using an environment repository for so, a config map? So I'll start with the, the Kubernetes API server use cases. Um, cert, there's certainly a possibility the the problem that often comes up is permissions, right? So you need to have, the app needs to have permissions to talk to the API server. Right. And in many enterprises, that's a no-no, right? They don't want that, right? So Fair. Yeah. Um, if you have the config server do it, you have one single app that has permissions to do it as opposed to every app, right? Right. So it's a single point, right? Um, now, the other use case that you brought up as well is, is mounting the config map as a volume and then using Spring Config import 
and point to a, a config tree um, and, and contribute the property source uh, that way. And that's also obviously a valid use case. Um, it's a great one that was added um, in Spring Boot. Um, 2.4, I think. Yep, 2.4. Yeah. And uh, I think it was 2.4. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then um, the problem is YAML. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is YAML, right? Like to do that is probably twenty lines of YAML in 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 a, a Kubernetes YAML file, right? And so, uh, it, you know, anytime I can avoid personally, anytime I can avoid having to write that much YAML, <laughs> uh, I will skip it. And so, like, you can do that with with the config server, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So choose your poison, I guess. Oh yeah, and that's the nice thing about Spring is again from your Java code, the code that you let's say you want to get access to server.port, the way you talk to the config volume. The, so well, let's talk. Let me back up. If I've got a config map, it's a dictionary with keys and values. Mm -hmm. That's it's an object that's managed by Kubernetes. It doesn't do anything for anybody yet. You have to connect that config map, a dictionary of keys and values, with your app, and the easiest two ways are to then have Kubernetes turn that map into either environment variables, mm -hmm. so the config keys become the environment variables and the values of the environment variables correspond to the config values, or to turn the config map into a config tree, which is the weird, by the way, I had never seen this structure or this convention before Kubernetes. So mm -hmm. it took me a long time to know that it was missing. I didn't know <laughs> that this is a thing you wanted because yeah. I never seen it before. Right. And I still don't even know why you would use it. but. In this case, what you do is you take the keys of the config map, turn those into the names of files in a directory, Correct. and then the contents of those config maps uh, entries are the f contents of the files in that directory. Correct. Right? Yeah. So Correct. a file called server.port whose content is the, yeah exactly right. okay. So and you're saying and and you but from the perspective of the Java code to use the config tree, the config map, to use the config server backed by a config map, or to use the config map directly talking to the API server through Spring Cloud Kubernetes. The, the thing I do in my Java code is I just say environment.git property. It's the same for Correct. all of those, yep. right? Correct. Yep. And this is what I love about it. We yeah, just yeah. we can have a long faceted discussion about <laughs> security ramifications and the implications of this deployment strategy, that one, or the freshness, right? If I update my config map, which one's going to give me fresh updates? This, this is a, another thing. Uh, continue your thought. We'll go back to that one. Okay. Yeah. I, we can have long discussions <laughs> about that, all without ever changing the Java code that I write to use that data, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, there is one. I could add code, but the core code around giving me, uh, you know, inject this server.port value, that code is the same. I love that about Spring. Yeah. These are all abstractions that insulate me from, you yeah. know, I just swap out the abstraction, yeah. I get it right. I, 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 I yeah. source the value somewhere else from yeah. the environment. Yeah. Go I on. So the, back to the config server yes. thing, the, the, one of the most popular features we have with config server is the ability to, uh, or, or Spring Cloud is to refresh the application context and pull an updated configuration without having to kill the, the app, right? Right. Um, that 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 slash refresh actuator endpoint, um, and so in Kubernetes, the, you can go to your config map. You can update the value. Uh, that value will actually be updated at some point in time. It, the file that's mounted on the file system, but you won't know the app doesn't know that the file changed, right? Unless right. you write some kind of custom thing to tell the app right that. Which you could do, but you know, yeah. Yeah. So we have a. We also have a, a, another component of Spring called Kubernetes called a Spring Map. Uh, Spring Cloud Kubernetes Config Watcher, yeah. which watches the config maps for changes. And when they change, 
it will hit the refresh endpoint or uh, send a, a, a message on, on the bus to the app to let it know that it, it changed and to update its configuration. Right? So uh, we bring that refresh functionality into the picture as well for config names. Which is so cool. I've used that a million times and I think I even did a video on that actually. I did a spring tips video on this because it's, and I'd show the bus too. Yeah. That's the magic trick to me is, because what I always wanted, you know, the spring cloud and the config server, you can do this. You can say, um, Actually, wait. Can the event? Can the config map repository, the config map environment repository thing for yes. the Spring Cloud config yeah, server? Yeah. Can it also yeah. dynamically yeah. reconfigure itself? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's transitive. So think, oh wow. So I change the config map, the Spring Cloud config server updates its own view yeah. of that data, yeah. and then if I want, I can actually with the event bus, I can have the Spring Cloud config server send a notification telling all connected clients to refresh their own view of the config server. Correct, yeah. But you're saying there's also now the ability to have my app go straight to the config map through Spring Cloud Kubernetes. Yeah. Circumventing, for better or for worse, all the benefits of the Spring Cloud config server. Yeah. And in this case, my app is connected directly to the API server via Spring Cloud Kubernetes. And it's pulling, it's, it's monitoring the config map changes. Yeah. And that also can publish an event on a bus. Yeah, 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 correct. So cool. Yeah. So you can actually, you change one thing in a config map over here, instantly every app that is connected to either the to the bus via either the Spring Cloud config server or the Spring Cloud Kubernetes config integration, yeah. instantly they all just get the message and yes. they change themselves too. Yeah. 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 That's the way it should be. <laughs> it's really, really good. And yeah. actually the config map, config server story is also very secure, right? It's yes. one, one place where you have to right. have to heightened uh, escalated privileges. Right. And then it's all just decoupled via message buses. Yeah, and the ops people can deal with that one that one special app. Yeah, right? yeah. coordinate yeah, all yeah, yeah, heightened yeah. security, all that. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, that's so good. And this is the kind of flexibility. You know, it's one thing to build this. Uh, it's one thing to build a config thing, mm -hmm. but quite another to have the ability to address all these kinds of security use cases and to match the very particular topology requirements of enterprise. Right. Right. And this is why we talked about that holy grail of. Uh, uh, you know, config servers and, and sorry, of Kubernetes clustering and all that. The ideal world is you just deploy one cluster and it's always up and it works just fine. Yeah, yeah. That's just not the world though. <laughs> no. It's not, right? No. Like it's, Kubernetes, you, like I haven't gone to a, I've never worked on a system of any import where I could just deploy it in one server and one data center and just call it done. You yeah, know? never. It's never, you know. Like, You'd like to think that's the case. That's I would like, love. That's never the case, right? Uh, this yeah. is why I don't want to be a consultant because they make, <laughs> they make, they make consultants do their, like, the hard work. It's like, I'm, out, I'm very happy in the ideal demo land world, you know? <laughs> don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, Spring Cloud Kubernetes, yeah. the config story you know, is, is like, uh, it's been all day. Well, yeah, all day. And I know you have. You wrote the uh, Spring Cloud Kubernetes stuff, right? But for yeah. the config map in particular, yeah, yeah. the refresh and all that stuff. Yeah. Did you write the event repository, the config map repository for the uh, yeah, yeah. Spring Cloud config yeah. server too? Yeah. Is it the same code behind the scenes? Yeah. Same. Oh, that's uh, brilliant. Looks, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, the config server. Do what do you? Uh, so we just talked about that. I, I, they had MongoDB at one point. Is that still mm, there? JDBC. So. JDBC is there. Okay, yeah. JDBC. Uh, there's subversion, subversion, which is like for those two people using subversion. Still, I don't know if anybody. There's a f direct raw file thing at yeah, one point. Yeah, yeah, you can serve from the native file system. Yeah, which I never, I never quite understood that use case. Like Vault seems to be fairly, Vault seems to be fairly popular. Is that so? Okay, that's conf, that's the config server. And by the way, for people who are listening, the config server is a REST API that a client can connect to and say, "Hey, my name is this service, and I'm using this Spring profile." Uh, and my application name is whatever. Yep. 
please give me the config set, the you know the managed configuration values, keys and values mm-hmm. that correspond to the dimensions implied by all those things I just told you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it'll feed you back whatever's configured for you in particular, right? So yeah. application.properties corresponds to every app, but application-foo.properties, only the app named foo will get that. And so the client's perspective is you're just getting you know, dictionary, keys mm-hmm. and values back. Mm-hmm. That REST API in turn, you know, you can so it source it. You know, the data comes from somewhere. We talked about so a Git repository, which is my favorite configuration because sure. I can see who changed things. I can roll it back. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, auditability. Yeah. But uh, but also yeah, JDBC. I yeah. mean, does that do these other ones have version versioning built in or besides subversion or is yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I thought I, I think Vault might have might has like a. I don't know if the right terminology like access logs or whatever like you could tell who changed what you know it oh, logs yeah. that type of stuff right um but as far as like versioning and rolling it back i'm not i'm not 100 sure aws um what's the back end store there there's aws integration which appears to be i should know this because i literally just moved the the the, the sdk over to version two and i <laughs> i can't remember all the stuff i moved over as but. soon as we stop recording yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, right, it's right. gonna come right now Anyways. The, the AWS backend story also seems to be pretty popular with people too, um, just based on issues that get opened and stuff like that. So yeah. nice, yeah. 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 I mean, well, I think there's a few people using AWS. Might be, might be. It's gonna be big. You yeah, should yeah, watch. Yeah. <laughs> Those boys in in Redmond are up to something. I, uh, yeah. They're on to something. Yeah. Um, boys and girls. Yeah. It's just being. I was trying to affect a. <laughs> I knew you 1920s. I'm not offended. Dick Tracy accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, I, I was trying to affect the kind of accent in which I could say the word gumshoe and have it be appropriate, you know, <laughs> but there's no sentence in which that would fit. So. Uh, anyway, um, config, client-side load balancing, yeah. tracing, security. Oh, again, your your service mesh can perpetuate the headers, Yes. but it's not going to source, it's not going to originate the token, mm-hmm. um, or even if it does, yeah. That token gets sent to your app, and then what? You just yeah. you can say, oh well, I don't. I, I do all the challenge, the the challenge and all that stuff can happen outside in the service mesh, but unless I just want to like unless my app has no idea about identity, yeah. which that's ridiculous, right? Every user, I want to know who the user is. Something needs to take the header that says this is a, this is our Baxter and Jay Long. Mm. I need to take that and turn it into something my Java code can use to say, hey, let me load up the profile for this user. Actually, all, all that stuff in Spring Cloud Security was moved to, into Spring Security itself. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, that the, that has to happen yeah, yeah. in your Java code, even if the service mesh is doing the perpetuation sure, yeah, yeah. and origination. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yep. Right? Yep. It, so these are, all, again, these are all things that are all big wins for the service mesh, but that doesn't preclude or even moot the use of Spring Cloud. It actually just makes them more dramatic, more, more you know, yeah. pronounced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's a win-win if they're both there, you I know, agree. a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. So what's our story now for Spring Cloud Kubernetes going forward? Like, um, yeah, it, right now, like I said, I've been thinking about the the whole cross cluster service discovery thing that I've uh, been stewing on uh, for that that point of view. But um, some of the other stuff I I've been thinking about around Kubernetes, just taking a step back a little bit, is like the whole we we kind of touched on the, the whole YAML experience and like. Uh-huh. What it means to you know also like be a developer and develop against you know uh, d- deploy and develop your apps while they're running on Kubernetes and debug that stuff and 
So I've been looking a lot of a lot of, around a lot of stuff we've been doing with Tanzu Application Service and. What is that for the people who don't know? Uh, that is a a a a, a developer friendlier experience on top of Kubernetes. If we'll, we'll leave it at that at a high level. I, I think I I like the idea that it kind of brings the patterns, if not the exact technology, yeah. of Spring to the co the Kubernetes, the way you compose higher level. Um, supply chains. Yeah. The way you would just you, the way you compose higher level objects in Kubernetes mm. is by injecting references to other things, right? And mm. If you take it to that logical extreme, yeah, it's very nice to have these little Lego bricks that do useful things in your cluster that you can yeah. weave together into a bigger picture. You know, like think, your Spring application context. I think some of the huge wins with 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 Tanzu application service uh, from a Spring developer point of view is like we have all these conventions that you need to do when you're deploying your application to Kubernetes. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, we were today or yesterday at Spring One Tour here, you were giving your talk and, and you were, you know, going through all the conventions and you had all these properties you had to set and the management, you know, the actuator things that need to be exposed and all this other stuff, right? And, and, and I think one of the huge wins is not only minimizing the amount of YAML that you need to write, right. but also um, applying these conventions uh, Tanzu Application Service automatically applies these conventions to the app because it recognizes a boot app and it knows what the best practices are for running this app on top of Kubernetes or it has some opinions about it, which you can customize, right? So it does all that stuff, like all that stuff that I, I really don't care about as a developer that gets me to writing my code as fast as I possibly can and iterating right. and building the stuff that I care about. It takes care, it takes care of all that stuff that I don't care about, um, which kind of takes us back to what, you know, what uh, Cloud Foundry was also trying to do right. Uh, originally, right? Um, and I think um, it's taking, I, I think I, I view um, Tanzu Application Service kind of like as taking the best things from, from Cloud Foundry and right. putting it on top of Kubernetes. So, uh, yeah, but I also think of it kind of, yes, yeah. I think that's a, a good way to uh, approach it. I also think we've kind of deconstructed Cloud Foundry. Hmm. So, you, first of all, there are things that didn't exist in Kubernetes that now do. But as importantly, those things are now more granular. Mm. It's not all of Cloud Foundry or nothing. It's I'll take this yeah. build pack mechanism yep. and I can use that by itself, yeah. right? I'll take this um, uh, you know routing and all the I mean all these little components that yeah. used to be part of the Cloud Foundry. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think tap is that final missing piece. There's, we've slowly over the last five years. Mm deconstructed Cloud Foundry and built it on top. Put it back together. Put it back top, together in a Kubernetes native way, yeah. right? As more little granular, yeah. uh, easily composed right. Lego bricks or right. whatever. I don't know how to, that metaphor is all yeah. tortured, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it supports different types of workloads, right? It better supports different types of workloads. Than, better than Cloud Foundry. Than Cloud because Foundry. Cloud Foundry only supported really online web apps. Yeah, right. Not right. batch apps. I mean, you could do it. Yeah. You could certainly run a, a cron job or something like that on Cloud Foundry, but I just feel like there's yeah. Spring uh, Spring integration is a different workload than a web app. Yep, and it's not unreasonable to do a public static void main and just start up a a, a, a socket listener. Yeah, or start up something that is going to start batching messages from Kafka. Yep. You know, yep. it's just a back office worker. You right. know, right. Um, right. ditto for all sorts of other things. Yeah, you know, Spring uh, Spring is multitudes. You know, right. So yeah, just having that be matched by the by flex by by conciseness mm -hmm. in that you know Spring Boot gives you 
conciseness, but if you want to, you, there's multiple levels you can peel back mm. to expand it or change it. Mm. And tap gives you that for Kubernetes. That's right. how I kind of feel it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, opinionated, but flexible. Yes, definitely flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When does that start? Like, can I use tap now? You can do it. Yeah, you can use it now. I've been I've been messing around with it for the past uh, few months. And, what about uh, them? Then they can also, yeah, anyone can go and, and mess around. There's the 1.1 release is the current release. Yeah. 1.2 is, is going is, is very soon. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the exact date, but that will be very soon. And we're, we're, you know, from the Spring Team perspective, we're still trying to wrap our heads around it. But what enhancements can we make from a Spring perspective to better support running our Spring Boot apps on TAP? And, right. Because and, uh, TAP's doing a lot of the heavy lifting for us. They're doing a lot of heavy They lifting. understand Spring, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, we want to make it as easy as possible to go from, you know, startouchspring.io or whatever, and to get you know something off and running on Kubernetes. And um, it's not perfect right now, but it's it's a it's a heck of a lot better than than if you were just using vanilla Kubernetes. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think we're I think we are. It's not quite as easy as it was with CloudFront, but it's yeah. definitely easy enough that I no longer feel hamstrung. Yes. Or, or burdened, and also it's infinitely more flexible. Yep. And so I feel like this is the right this is the right level of abstraction, the right gradient. You know, and is it one of the things that was kind of also like a pain in the butt on on, on Cloud Foundry was like debugging and like uh, oh yeah that type of stuff. And like you go through, look through Tap, you can do live updates. Like if you have the Spring Dev tools on the class path, and you you know change the source code file and used to seeing that that automatically reflected in the running app like you can do that with an app running on tap in kubernetes like a cluster running on right. aws right wow. uh you can connect your remote debugger automatic you know set set that up so you can step through your code and debug through it right um so the developer experience is is getting getting better right more better on, more on you. more on par than more on par with what you would expect to have happen locally if you're just doing local development right which is what you want, right? Right, like, right. That's where you want to go, right? As a developer, inner loop development on Kubernetes yes. has always been historically terrible, right? Yeah. Like, because you have to you make the change, you compile the artifact, you run your test, yeah. build a container, deploy it. Right. The controllers kick in, they destroy, yeah. reset state. I mean, there's a whole yeah. It's a lot of electronic violence, you know. Like, it's <laughs> chaos. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, and it's slow. That's the worst part. It's, yeah. It's sad to think that those poor little electrons are being destroyed. But on the other hand, it's even more more annoying that uh, it's. It's taking me forever to uh, to wait, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I guess I don't know how we. I don't know if there's a theme to what we talked about today. Uh, I think we covered a lot. Yeah, a little bit of everything. <laughs> it, so I guess what we've said is that with Spring, if you want it to be Kubernetes, can be nothing new to you at all. Yes. Or you can fully maximize maximally take advantage of all the little nuanced features. Yeah, you can go down the rabbit hole if you want. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think to some degree it's good to know how to do that. But, you know, when you're when you're just getting started and you're, you know, whenever you want to try out a new technology, you want to make it as, as painless as possible. Right? Yeah. You want that experience to be as good as possible. Right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I think that's what we're striving for from a spring perspective and spring plus Kubernetes perspective. Right. We want that experience to be as seamless and as painless as possible. And we're doing that with a combination of. Yeah, projects from Spring, the Spring team itself, and then also the larger VMware ecosystem. So, yeah. so taking it all back around, knowing what you know and without violating any NDAs or whatever, <laughs> um, could somebody build a Lotus Notes on top of Kubernetes in Spring today? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest they do that. But yeah. 
I mean, it has been uh, six or seven years since I've, I've been in that space, so or even longer than that. Yeah. But, uh, but is the foundation, uh, does Kubernetes give you the primitives to deploy something as complex and uh, maybe. fully featured? I, I'm sure some out. mad scientist probably could do it. So it's, it's not going to be me. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just wondering, I like, like, talk, I know you can, I mean, obviously uh, huge companies, right, are running yeah. gigantic systems on yeah. the likes of Kubernetes. So I know it can be done. I'm just wondering yeah. if you, you weren't even, I didn't edit that. Folks. <laughs> I asked a question and no sooner had I pronounced the final syllable did he flinch and go, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's great. That was, couldn't have asked for a better response. Um, my friend, you've been great. You're always great. I'm just glad we got to chat. People are going to want to know more. Yeah. Hell, I want to know about more, know more, but we don't have the time. Yeah. Where would people go if they wanted to learn more, first of all, about you? Are you on the internet? Do you want to be found? And if so, where? I, I am on the internet uh, occasionally. Uh, Twitter, you can find me on Twitter, at Ryan J. Baxter. You know, uh, message me, whatever, if you have any questions. Um, you know, you can find me there and, and, and stalk me. You can just Google my name, Ryan Baxter, yeah. Spring Cloud, and you'll find any number of ways of getting in contact with me. And lots um, of great presentations from yes. past and today. Make sure you're looking at the new ones, although they're all good. They're just, you're yeah. just working on so much stuff that changes so often. It's always good to get the freshest stuff. Yep. And uh, those the, the presentations actually from uh, Spring.io in Barcelona should be up soon. I haven't heard from Sergi yet, but um, I know that I see them popping up on YouTube slowly but surely. So if you're interested in checking out some of the more recent stuff, that would be there. Um, but yeah, they just uh, open issues on GitHub and reach out to me on Twitter. Yeah, that's, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Rock on. Thanks, my friend. All right. Thank you, Josh. And by the way, for people listening, there's been a lot of background noise. That's because Ryan and I are sat in the same room. <gasps> Scandal. I know. Uh, uh, in New York for the Spring One Tour New York installment. Are you going to be at the next one? Is that Seattle, I think? No, I will not be at the next one. The next one I'm actually planning on being at is Atlanta. So okay. Atlanta. I'll see you there. Yeah. Thanks, my friend. All right. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.